I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who save with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Monica was in her 20s and living in Washington, D.C., when her best friend decided to move out of state with his boyfriend. Monica was still finishing her graduate work in psychology, but she was thrilled to see her friend embark on his next adventure. I remember the morning that he left, he called me over and I got up and went over and I was there when they like locked their U-Haul. And I remember giving him a hug and being like, I'm so excited for you guys. Have a safe trip. On her way home, she stopped at a video store and a high-end bodega. I got like these two rom-coms and I got all of this food. Like I remember getting like an opera cake and like... <laughs> chips and dip and all of this stuff. It was a beautiful summer day too, right? But I remember going back to my apartment, changing into PJs, closing the blinds, taking this food basically and getting into bed and like just having the food around me. And I watched these DVDs and I just cried and cried and cried and ate all the food. And I was like, what the hell is going on with me? Why am I like losing a Sunday like this, a gorgeous Sunday in bed, watching these movies and bawling my eyes out? From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. So this season is all about age and the relationship lessons we learn at different stages of life. What does it feel like to fall in love in your teens? What can a 60 or 70-year-old tell us about what love looks like after decades with someone? But I want to be careful not to generalize about what we learn and when. I mean, it took me until my 40s to learn some stuff that other people fully understood at 22. Love lessons can hit us at random times, and many are universal. I wanted to know more about age and the brain, and what we can say about why people love the way they do at different points in life— So I turn to a real expert. Hi, I'm Dr. Monica O'Neill. I'm 42 years old, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist and a relationship expert. I'm also a lecturer in Harvard Medical School, and recently I just did a TV show for Bravo. And what was the name of that show? This show was called Camp Getaway. It has nothing to do with psychology, although you could look at all the crazy stuff that happens when adults get into a situation where we totally regress to like being children or in middle school. But it was just a show about the fun times that you have at adult camp, where I have been a volunteer counselor on the weekends for the last few years. Dr. Monica, which is what I call her, is a very cool person to know. Not surprisingly, she has strong psychology-based hot takes about every real housewife, if that's your thing. I actually met Monica when I randomly interviewed her at a club for a story many years ago. Then we met again earlier this year. It turns out she knows a ton about partnerships, what makes them work and not work. As someone who's 
a professional with this, what would you say about what we're capable of learning at different ages and how much age matters when it comes to relationship maturity and lessons learned? The truth is we start learning how to be in healthy relationships from the moment that we first like take our first breath of air, the first time somebody touches us and picks us up as infants. That's when we first start to learn like what comfort feels like. When we cry, if somebody comes and picks us up and holds us, that's when we learn that our needs will be met if we're upset or frustrated. Once you start to get to your late teens, when you start to have this clearer understanding that you're not magic and that like people have their own sense of self, they have their own separate minds. That's a very important point that happens, I would say, through high school when if somebody doesn't like you, you know, at that point in time, it feels like you're the worst person in the world. The age where we start to have a much more clear sense of relationships is probably like in your mid mid 20s you know the human brain the full the human brain fully usually matures you have full functioning of the prefrontal cortex this whole part of the brain in the front that is responsible for thoughtfulness planning your ability to interact with other people it's not like the back of your brain that's just about fire sex and hamburgers and survival fire sex hamburgers survival those are primal needs The skills to really deal with other people, those take longer to develop. And so that usually develops on an average age of 25. For men, it's usually a little bit later, average age 28. For women, it's a little bit earlier, average age 23, hence we get 25. And that's also sometimes at a time in life where a lot of people have what they call quarter-life crisis, where your friendships start to change. And like if you had dated somebody for a while, sometimes a relationship comes to an end. It was around this age exactly, when Monica's brain had moved beyond sex and hamburger thinking, that she learned a relationship lesson we'll hear about today. I happen to think it's universal and very important, especially in today's culture of dating and ghosting. I'll let Monica set the stage. I happen to be one of those really unique and plucky little individuals who is a military brat. I'm an Air Force brat, so I was born on a military base in the United States, but I would say before I turned 10, I have seen and lived in a lot of different countries. Literally, I went from like North Carolina to Germany and traveled in Europe and then back to North Carolina and then to South Carolina. And then we lived in the Philippines for a big chunk of my life. It was a very amazing, unique experience. I mean, I was outdoors all of the time. My world was very international. I mean, I was a little continental for for real, you know, as like a kid in elementary school. And so like meeting new people, seeing the world was very exciting for me. Monica gets used to coming and going. And it was also just kind of common practice. Like I knew how to get into a new environment and start over. I made friends really easily. So just for people who aren't familiar with that lifestyle, I imagine you're meeting a bunch of other kids who live similar lifestyles, right? Does everyone who walk in have that same skill of like, oh, I understand how to do this and you might be temporary. And can you talk about making friends with a bunch of people who are used to this? Right. Well, so it's also really interesting because if you're a military, let's look at it from being like in the structure of a military family. Military bases, especially those that are overseas, even the ones that are in the United States, but especially those who are overseas are kind of like the perfect 1950s setup of a suburban life. You were to drive down the street and like leave it to Beaver. That's what you would see on a military base in terms of the housing. And if somebody lives in a house, it's because they have kids. So you'll see on a street, a bunch of houses with kids and whatever. But then when you go overseas, you have an enclave of Americans with little kids in a country where they speak another language. So it's like your eye sense of family and community shifts. It's an automatic sense of going into this new place and the people around you becoming your family. And it's like, 
you just step up and you start to connect with people so quickly. You talk about you knew going into these situations that there was a temporary feeling about that. Can you talk about leaving, especially the first few times you had to do it? And and I imagine leaving when you make friends gets harder as you get older because they're deeper connections. Well, you know, I don't know if it was done intentionally this way. I don't know if military people do this, but we always left in the summer, like right before a school year. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like literally, I don't know if that was intentional. I just thought about it. I feel like we always moved like in August. Probably, right? Yeah. That's just something I just recognize. I mean, my brother's in the military now and he was just deployed. His family's still here, but I feel like they always transitioned like in the summer. After years of this lifestyle, Monica and her family finally moved back to the U.S., back to South Carolina. We were in South Carolina from my fifth grade until I graduated high school. So that's like seven years that we were in South Carolina. And I had, when I remember going back to fifth grade, there were people there who were like, oh, Monica, I remember you. And I was like, I don't remember you, but like probably because I wasn't attached to it at all. Like I didn't really have like a connection. For Monica, that sense of transience lasts through high school and college. She meets people, but she doesn't see permanence in any of those relationships. Each time, I feel like there was a massive change that happened in my life in some way, shape, or form, like whatever activity I took on. I went into marching band. That was a really big part of my experience. I went to college out of state. I didn't go far. I went to the University of North Carolina, but like I certainly didn't have the pangs of homesickness, and my parents are lovely people. For a long time, this skill of leaving without baggage serves Monica really well. After college, she picks up and moves to Washington, D.C., and that's when things start to change for her. I actually moved in with one of my friends who I'd met really the very beginning of college. He and I were both in marching band together. And um, so he was my first roommate out of college. Monica gets recruited then for a job in Ohio. She leaves without much thought. But after about a year, she realizes something. She wants to go back to D.C. for grad school because it sort of feels like home base. She misses her friends from college, who mostly live there. And then so when I moved back to D.C. to go to graduate school, that's a, that probably is the first hint of it. I decided to go back to some place that I liked. It was the first time that I probably had consistency of being in the same space of friends from college to, like, graduate school. Being in graduate school for a while, this guy that I lived with, this, you know, one of my closest friends, he met a guy. They became quite serious. His partner at the time was in medical school and graduated and needed to go move to Chicago to do a residency. And I remember prior to it, we had like all these big celebrations. We would do like the things that I think I'd, I'd learned to do when you leave. Like you do like the celebrations and the ceremonies of goodbye. D.C. wasn't going to be the same, but I still had plenty of friends and whatever. And I was going to be leaving D.C. probably in a year. So the day Monica's friend leaves with that U-Haul... Monica waves goodbye, and she's doing fine, because this is no big deal at all. Until she gets home with the rom-coms and junk food and starts bawling her eyes out. I could not make sense of it, and I couldn't stop it either. It was just kind of like this locomotive thing inside of me that just was like, cry and eat. At that point, I had started therapy, my own therapy. And so I remember a couple of days later going to my therapist and being like, oh my God. I was in bed all day on Sunday and I was just crying and watching these DVDs, like these rom-coms and eating all this food. And she was like, 
okay. And she was like, tell me about what happened. And I'd said, oh yeah, you know, I got up to go say goodbye to my friend who was leaving and da 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 And then I stopped and got the food. Next thing you know, like my whole day was wasted. And she was kind of like, slow down. <laughs> Let's look at it. And she was like, so you had to say goodbye to your friend. And then you spent all day crying in bed. And I was like, no, but I was watching a movie. (laughs) She's like, no, 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 let's slow down. You had to say goodbye to your friend who basically you had seen pretty regularly for like the last eight years. And now he's moved to this other place and has like other primary relationships. And she was like, Monica, that's what loss and goodbyes are supposed to feel like. You're supposed to feel the sense of pain. It's supposed to feel heavy. And she was like, as a military kid, you never had that. You were ne- you, never, you couldn't slow down to have that, you know? And she was like, but this is what goodbyes, this is what loss feels like. This is what tells you relationships are important. This is the emotional piece that has been missing or that you couldn't pay attention to. And so I remember hitting me like a ton of bricks and I just started bawling. I think like every single probably important person in my life that I wasn't even aware of just kind of like washed over me like a flood. Once this revelation comes, Monica can't go back. She loses her superpower of being able to say goodbye without sadness, which I guess was never a real superpower to begin with. She rededicates herself to honoring every goodbye because they matter. But how does this new understanding of loss affect her dating life? How does it change the way she deals with all of the goodbyes that come with romance? When we come back, Monica explains why she would never ghost anyone, ever, even after just one date. We're back. So, Monica, a military kid who grew up learning how to walk away without feelings, without tears, without freaking out, finally confronts what it means to experience loss. I actually found myself wanting to reconnect and reach out to more people that I hadn't seen in a while. I'd tried to like reconcile some of those relationships where I just had stopped talking to people or like it just made me in that moment pay attention to more of what was happening to me on the everyday level. This is when Monica starts to get super intentional about her goodbyes. When she realizes her grandfather's health is failing, she approaches his looming death in an entirely different way. I just remember being consciously aware of like, okay, I need to spend time with him and say goodbye and I need to talk and think about things that are important to me. And I remember it was like the first time I felt like I got to say goodbye to a loved one when they died. And so he died that October. And um, I remember it being a surprise for other people, but it wasn't a surprise for me. And I was grateful that my therapist had helped me get to that place. So it really shifted and changed how I moved through the world when it came to that. Like anybody, any relationships is important to me. When I had falling out with friends or like conflicts, In the past, I would have been like, whatever, I guess, you know, I didn't care. I didn't need him. I was like, I was just the emotion that was primary was like the frustration or the disgust or disappointment. I want to talk about this in the context of romantic relationships and how people say goodbye or in some cases don't say goodbye at all. How has this informed your philosophy when you hear people talk about relationships, when you have your own romantic relationships? What defines a good ending that is healthy with, with this philosophy in mind? So for me, I've had to say goodbye to relationships. And when I've ended relationships, I try to be very thoughtful about, I don't, I, I'm the kind of person that I would not end a relationship in the place of just anger. I would not end a, repla- a relationship, like a dating relationship 
you know, like in a fight. But I'm not going to do that because it's like all of those things bring up so much intense loss and pain and it makes it seem like this is easy to walk away from. How I operate across the board and what I help my patients recognize is that it's okay to want to end a relationship. It's okay to not be sure somebody is the best person for you. But before you just get to that place where you're just like, this isn't going to work or uh, whatever, or I'm just so frustrated, stop and let's really reflect and ask and ask yourself, what are you going to lose? And what is it that you're needing and how to talk about that before you move to this place? Because it's like, if you're really clear, you give somebody a real clear guide map to like how to love you and you let them know that they are important to you and you want them to do it and they still can't do it, that's a different thing than if like, you know, like then if you're just like, well, this is frustrating and I don't really need this because you're always going to feel that sense of regret later. So there are some people who experience the end of relationships and their instinct is to move on, done, we move on, we, we don't wallow, we don't dwell. Then there are people like me who are like, talk about losing a Sunday. They lose 40 Sundays and, and other days because they're still crying and eating the opera cake and the rom-com and they're still sad. How do we find this middle ground of healthy grief with romantic relationships specifically? Because I think it's so hard when it's not like a friend who moved away and you still get to reach out. The thing that I learned, and I said that I was able to do with my grandfather, for instance, I've been able to do since, is I've been able to say goodbye. So the goodbye helps me grieve in a healthier way. I think it's when the when the goodbye is sudden or it's something that like, you know, that, you know, that you're not expecting when it's just like very intense and it just happens out of the blue. That is much more painful because it's like you don't have an opportunity to like have those important conversations. You don't have an opportunity to grieve. So, you know, like for instance, say, say when I've been broken up with, it's never come across as a surprise. I've never been surprised about it, to be honest with you. Monica believes in honest relationship check-ins on both sides so that no one has the rug pulled out from under them. I mean, sometimes it's hard not to blindside someone who doesn't see the relationship the same way you see it. But it helps to communicate as much as possible, especially when you start to notice possible deal breakers. But I ask Monica, what about new relationships? How do you do this and say goodbye when you've only known someone for a quick minute? Because that's what I hear most about the disappearances after a few dates, or when someone has one incredible first date and feels this huge connection, and then the other person just vanishes. This is where Monica tells me that she does not believe in ghosting. Ever. She simply does not allow it. Not even after one date. She always demands an ending. Not in a weird showing up at the person's window kind of way, but in a, hey, let's close this out way. Because, she says, our brains actually need it and deserve it. Otherwise, we might wind up weeping at Bridget Jones's diary while consuming an opera cake and not understanding why. So, yeah, I think I joke and I'm like, I don't really let anybody ghost me because I'm like, I will always follow up and be like, what's going on? And even if they're just like, well, I can't do that. It's still like me speaking up. It's still like my saying goodbye. You know, like, okay, well, this is a goodbye. I have to admit... This advice and lesson surprised me because I have apparently ghosted. I never thought of it as ghosting, though. I've just had a few first dates that didn't hit just right. In one or two cases I can think of, I didn't write back to a message from the person afterward. I thought the non-answer was the answer. I mean, this was a while ago. But my thought at the time was, after two hours or less of a person's company, what do people really owe each other? I've said this in my column, too. Because of the quantity involved in app dating, 
I felt we had to be open to moving on without closure. But Monica has sold me on a different way to be. Why wouldn't we communicate with someone even after one date? I mean, assuming they were nice and well-meaning and not super creepy or rude. Why wouldn't we be grateful and say, thanks for your company, but I'm not interested in more? Some of this is on the person hearing the news. I'm done with this shouldn't have to require 40 follow-up exchanges. You have to hear and believe what someone is saying to you. It's not your place to convince them otherwise. But to those giving the rejection, even after one date, how about trying to be as clear as possible, even when it feels like it would be simpler to just bail without explanation? Okay, there's two lessons. One is that you can't skip over this this grief part of the loss of any relationship. Like, it really any is... Any relationship. Any rela- but the second lesson I'm hearing is also to the breaker-uppers, because I think there is this thought that, well, maybe if we avoid having the uncomfortable conversation, we will avoid the uncomfortable feelings. And to say to the breaker-uppers, you know, give someone the space to ask questions, to have the conversations they need. I mean, I know I have told you about a breakup where it was not a surprise to the person breaking up with me. He thought plenty about it, but to me, this was like a shock. I wouldn't leave the house. I mean, I wasn't, I did a little bit of we're not breaking up, but I was more like, wait, I was trying to connect the dots. How did this happen? But I will say that in retrospect, despite the fact that I like would not get my ass off of his couch, he really sat there and let me ask questions and let me process and let me cry. But it's a very painful thing for him to do too, right? It's like a very loving gift that he gave you, but I'm sure it was hard to hear it in that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it was a gift. I literally wouldn't leave the couch, but I feel like <laughs> he, 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 you know, and, and later we've been able to joke about it as friends where, you know, he had just done the work on his own. Even if you've gone out on one date, you should say to somebody like, thank you, but like, I just don't think this is going to work out. So I'm going to say like, yeah, starting with date one, right? you know, or even like, even, you know, even not even that, like during the pan- time of pandemic, you know, I've dabbled with being online. If somebody that I actually started to chat with more, like one of one guy, like he just kind of like disappeared a bit. In this specific case of an attempt at pandemic dating, it turned out that this guy thought Monica had ghosted him because it took her a bit to respond. And once she realized that, she was very quick to apologize for making it seem like she wasn't giving him a proper clear ending. I realized that on some level that I think he felt uncomfortable because he thought I just like dissed him or whatever. And I and I owned it. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I should have handled it differently. In the end, it didn't work out. One thing Monica says that's important with this lesson is that we must say goodbye on the right platform. If we've made it past text in a relationship, we do not send it by text. We certainly do not end it with a post-it note, Monica jokes, as iconic as that might be. Sex and the City fans will remember that when Carrie Bradshaw was dumped on a post-it, it was a weird universal bonding experience for so many viewers. The breakup note simply said, Sorry, I can't. Don't hate me. Jack Berger, you are a complicated television character. Do not break up with somebody on a text. And if you get a broken up with on a text, pick up the phone and call and say, oh, no, 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 that's not happening. We're having a phone conversation about this. Or like, depending on how long, like, we're going to, let's meet and have a, like, let's meet and sit and talk about this. Because the thing is, is like, we spent time together. Let's honor the time that we spent together and say goodbye. Even if it feels like it's not as important to you, I need to say goodbye. And this is the lesson. One that I think is so important for mid-20-somethings in particular because their brains are still maturing, according to Dr. Monica. 
And because for many, it's the time that sets the tone for a life of relationships. And let's call it a lesson for all of us, because at 43, I want to be able to grieve when things end so I can move on. Goodbyes are important. We need them. We can give them with empathy and respect, even these days over Zoom, if need be. And no one should feel bad about wanting a goodbye. Do not feel ridiculous for being hurt if you get ghosted after one or two dates. You deserve better. We all do. Thank you, Monica. I want to give you a very thoughtful, deep goodbye. A real goodbye. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you so much. And I'm grateful that you asked me to do this. I really, truly value, you know, your mind, your thought, your heart, and the work that you bring. I do. I think you're a lovely person. I remember meeting you all those years ago in a club. You remember that? I I think I told you. Like You told me that. I mean, it's so I'm, great and it makes me so happy. I'm like, right. see, look at the... But look I'm at, proud look of like the career do. that you've made and the fact that you have made like talking about this stuff so much more accessible to people. I really value that. So well, I value you. all that you do. You are my relationship expert. And my God, this might be the most meaningful, lovely goodbye I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. Thank you so much for Thank talking, you. Thank you so talking. much. Thank you guys. Take care. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith and Jenna Serbo do our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. We'll be taping a live virtual bonus episode toward the end of the season on CAST, K-A-S-T, a watch party app where we can all be in a virtual living room together. To be in the audience for that, and to get a free Cast Premium trial membership, go to kast.gg love. That's cast.gg love. You can also reach us at loveletters@boston.com with all of your important relationship questions. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Learn more at loveletters.show. I love that you've just said no to ghosting, like, just know. I've told my girlfriends to tell guys, like, we're not breaking. Have you ever seen, you know, like, wedding crashes when Isla Fisher's like, we're never breaking up. We're never you know, breaking like, up. <laughs> yeah, I told one of my girlfriends to say that to this guy that she was dating. Like, <laughs> it was like, you should just say it. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. <laughs>